This is Seacoast Conversation with Mary Beth Parkinson, a public service of Seacoast Oldies. Local happenings, local businesses, local newsmakers, all on Seacoast Conversation. Heard each week at this time. Now, Seacoast Conversation. Melissa Fernald is the founder of Safe Surroundings New England and has been in the mental health and addiction field for over 23 years. Melissa is a licensed clinical social worker and a master level alcohol and drug counselor. She's been internationally certified. She is a nationally recognized speaker who has instilled hope and empowered communities in every region of New Hampshire and across seven states. Thank you, Melissa, for being here today. So I want to know, before the pandemic hit, did you have a bunch of scheduled visits to New Hampshire high schools? I did. And they were required to be rescheduled or canceled due to the pandemic. Tell me a little bit about what your presentation is when you go to a high school and and what's the format of it? Well, I have uh, a couple of different presentations that I do. We can start with the risky business one, which was which is the most one of the most popular presentations. And the format is I set up a um, teenage mock bedroom mm-hmm. with indicators of teenage risky behaviors with a focus on drugs and alcohol use. And uh, when the presentation starts, the audience comes in and they walk through the room and they take a look around. I'm in the room to answer questions and show them some things that I might not be covering in the uh, presentations. And then once they they sit down, I use the room as a prop to teach them about the some of the paraphernalia for different trending drugs and alcohol that the kids are doing. What about um, vape? Vape, vape? Vape products. Vapes all through it. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. it, it's a vaping is a is it's a lot of uh, misunderstandings from adults exactly on what vaping is and that's taken on a whole new meaning over the last 2 years as well. So it isn't just nicotine, it isn't just juice. Um, we're seeing THC oil vaped. We're seeing multiple other um, techniques of vaping, if you will. So it's presenting a whole different challenge, and a lot of parents are misled into thinking that it's no big deal. But it is a, it's a very big deal because the nicotine that they're using to vape, a high, high nicotine content, more than they would get from cigarettes. Um, not to say cigarettes are... are you know, any better, but Mm -hmm. it's almost like a a buzz, if you will, you Mm. know, that they'll get from that high level of nicotine, which, you know, nicotine affects every known neural pathway in your body. So it's, it's highly addictive. Okay. And does it, does it affect the developing brain or is it just a stimulant like coffee? Well, I, um, the research on vaping and nicotine is it's still so early, and we're seeing so many different versions of vaping nicotine and using nicotine. Um, so I'm not really up to speed on the developing brain, but what I can say is any substance use prior to the age of 15 increases the, the chances of that child becoming addicted to a substance. So what happens is the substance activates the reward portion of the brain. And so, you know, it's 
that becomes overactive and it kind of primes the pump, if you will. And so it doesn't really matter what substance it is because nicotine is highly addictive and can definitely increase the dopamine and the neural pathways of the brain and that um, reward center. But of course, the frontal lobe, the judgment portion of the brain is not fully developed, so it's a kind of a recipe for disaster for early use. So what was the age we again? definitely want to. What was it before Prior the age? Prior to the age of 15. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems to some parents like their child goes from, you know, this good kid, and then all of a sudden there's things in their bedroom that they don't even know what it is. So what, what are the things that parents can look for in a child's bedroom? Well, that that varies. I think well, one of the most important things is knowing your child. And I cover that and, and stress it throughout the presentation, is that you're not just going to go into the room, you know, and just kind of start flipping the room and looking for things. Uh, usually there are indicators. Um, parents know their child, so they know when, when there are shifts in their behavior or something's different, something's going on. And we talk through some of those indicators in some particular indicators, um, like sudden mood shifts and isolation and frequent requests for money, um, grades dropping significantly, so sudden shifts in their behaviors. And so that's, that's a very important piece to the entire presentation. And so when you go into the room, I always tell parents, that, like, start just going into the room, picking up the laundry, and even when things aren't, you know, going on, and glance around, scan the room, take the sheets off the bed, just kind of keep your eyes open. And a lot of times the parents will not know what the paraphernalia looks like or some of the other indicators that they may not suspect is being used for substance use. And so that's, that's a pretty important piece of keeping an eye on those things. And in my presentation, the room has all of those different indicators, and I walk them through them. And so it's, it's a little bit more complex than just what mm-hmm. would they find. I mean, a lot of times the kids will not hide their paraphernalia because they figure their parents, they won't know what it is anyway. And, you know, if they're using substances, they become pretty complacent. Their brains aren't fully developed. So you add substances to the mix and they become, you know, not so bright about concealing things. So they become complacent and leave things out. And so, you know, that's why it's super important for parents just to keep an eye. And, you know, the room isn't off limits. I mean, this is their home. Mm-hmm. And it's super important for parents to be able to go in there and, you know, not necessarily snooping, but just, you know, picking up the laundry and talking to your kid while they're in there, you know, to become familiar of, you know, what's going on in that room. So therefore, you know, when something does happen, when that, that shift occurs, that parent is going to pick up on that shift in, the, in how the room looks. So And I then think what, that's what do you do? So, so your, your child is... The grades are slipping, the mood swings, the no motivation, and then you find paraphernalia in the bedroom. What is the next step? Well, during the presentation, I 
you know, in the beginning of the presentation, we talk a lot about indicators, and you know, it's it's kind of the scary part of the presentation because parents are like, "Whoa, what's happening here?" and um, and then at the end, I teach them how to communicate with their child if they find something in their room or if they suspect their child is under the influence. And I created this acronym that um, parents can use to approach their child. Of course, it's not the be-all, the end-all, but it keeps the emotions out of it, and it's called SAFE. And so, you know, it teaches the parents how to communicate. The presentation is really about developing knowledge and giving them skills and tools to be able to walk out of that presentation and address their child if they need to. You know, it's for, you know, the in the moment um, situations. So it's being able to talk to your child without blaming or accusing and just kind of saying, you know, I'm your parent and I'm here for you. So what can we do about this? Well, it's it's not that. Not quite that sweet. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm laughing because it's one of the biggest things is that when when they um, are their child, their emotions need to be in check. How they feel is not in the mix, which kind of goes against what we have been taught as parents, where it's like, you know, let your child know how you feel about this. Let them know you're disappointed. Sometimes people would show anger, get drug tests and test them. But that doesn't create an opportunity for change. It opens up a gray area where a lot of times teenagers will manipulate in that area. So with the acronym, it's called SAFE. And so the first, the first step is self-inventory. So when you see something in the room, a lot of times our first reaction as parents is to be like, oh my God, I can't believe he did this to me. What? He's going to die. He's going to go and use heroin and he's going to die of an overdose. I'm a horrible parent. So there's this emotional reaction. So that self-inventory, keep yourself in check. Ask yourself if you are in if you're in the right state of mind to have this conversation with your child. I also strongly encourage people to work as a team. So the parents need to work together. So if they're co-parenting and they're divorced, it's really important for the two of them to talk and address the child together, you know, because sometimes one parent will be calmer than the other parent. And mm-hmm. so once they have that, that self-inventory, they're in check, and the next step is A, is assess the situation. And so what your, the parent is going to do is look at what's going on. You know, so I found um, vaping. I found signs of marijuana use, um, drinking. You know, what are the parent? what am I seeing? And so it's gathering the facts, okay? And mm-hmm. so, and making sure that this isn't, an emergency situation. So if, if a child is, comes in and you think they're high, you're assessing what you're seeing with them. For example, it reminds me a lot of when our babies were first sick and we call the doctor and we say, oh, their temperature is 103, they have, they're not drinking, they are not stools, you know, so we'll go in and give just the facts, right, right. Mm-hmm. in a calm way. Yes. So when we're seeing our child and we are assessing what we're seeing and it's uh, their eyes are red mm-hmm. and they're, they're shaky, 
their eye contact's not good, they smell heavy of perfume. So it's, it's assessing it, gathering the facts. And so once you do that, then you're ready to have a fact-based discussion. This fact-based discussion is a non-judgmental, non-emotion discussion. So it would look something like this. Um, I noticed that you are, your eyes are, you're red. They're really uh, red and glossy. You smell heavy of perfume. You are, your eye contact's poor. You're unsteady on your feet. Okay, so same thing if you find something in the room. It's you laying out what you found and saying, you know, I found this vape. I found this um, bowl. I found this. And, and just giving the facts. And then what you do is you say to your child, if you were me, what would you think? That is a good question. Because yep, that's so a question you, they would never expect you to ask. No. And it changes the way the brain is ready to respond. Because, A, if they're under the influence, they're not going to respond in a way that you, you're looking for. Okay? So keep your expectations low. But know that this is an opportunity for change. And so don't get into a power struggle with your child. So when you say, if you were me, what would you think? You step back. And so the child that normally would be defensive and start yelling at you and deflecting is, is has to stop and think, wow, okay, she noticed my eyes are red. She noticed this. She noticed that. Or He's, he, know, he knows what that is. He knows that's a vape. He knows what this is. And so they have to kind of think through those facts, and then they have to respond. And, you know, it's their response is one of those that our expectations have to be, you know, within range, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. if the, the kid says, well, that's not my stuff. That's my friend's. I was holding it for him. Or yeah. I'm not high. I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not doing anything. You're crazy. You know what I mean? None of that's happening. And so the parent instantly, as humans and parents, we want to then catch them, prove them wrong. And so we then charge in and start engaging in a um, argument and a power struggle with them. And sometimes parents will get over-emotional and, mm -hmm. you believe you're doing this to me? And, you know, I, I'm really worried. And, like, that's, this is not that conversation. This is right. not, you're going to have that conversation later when they, they don't aren't really high. care. They don't care they about don't, your feelings. Not, not, nope, nope. Nope. And so that leads us to the E in the SAFE acronym. And the E is EXIT. So don't engage in, in that dialogue. If your child denies it, if your child says, that's not mine, you know what, walk away, step away, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. You're going to revisit that again, but you're going to let your child sit with this, okay? And so what will happen is if your child is starting to, to be in the experimental phase where they aren't using it to get high, they're just trying, they're trying it for the first time, or they haven't progressed beyond a misuse, that child's going to walk away and be like, oh my God, he knew, he knew I was doing it, oh my gosh, oh my God, I can't fool her, you know what I mean, I, this isn't worth it. The risk far outweighs the benefits, and so then you'll see a shift. And if, in fact, they do have a problem and they want to continue using, okay, that next conversation is going to um, 
is going to address that, and you're going to you're going to be able you're going to see more things like um, what going on. Well, what you'll see is that they will you'll you'll start to see you'll see more paraphernalia. You'll see them try to be a little sneakier. But what you're going to do though is you're going to revisit this this conversation later. So if they come in high at night or if you're, they seem drunk. That is not the time to have the conversation because their brain is not operating at, at its full potential. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to get what you need from that. So you're going to wait till morning, providing this is not an unsafe situation. Because if they're using heroin or if they're using heavier drugs, if they're using benzos, Xanax, which is very big with teenagers, then you're, you, you might need to um, take an approach of safety, which is, this, is this an emergency situation where I have to take this my child to the emergency room and that's a different that's a totally different conversation and that the exit is exiting exiting to get help versus exiting to you know let let it simmer for a little bit and then you're going to revisit that conversation with them when they're not under the influence and when some time has passed so that you can then say okay do you understand you know where I was coming from last night. So you're going to start over again, but you, this is when you're going to talk about, you know, you, how you feel about it, what you think's going on, asking questions. But one of the biggest things teenagers tell me is their parents don't listen. Hmm. They don't listen. And okay. I have to tell you, I've seen it a million times in sessions with parents and teenagers, and it's like, wow, the parent's talking nonstop, and the kid has not gotten a word in edgewise, and they've made all these conclusions that may or may not be true. So it's super important for parents to kind of sit back and listen, listen to what their child is saying. It doesn't mean that you are saying you agree with them or you, or you think what they're saying is um, accurate or, or is truthful. You're, you're giving them an opportunity to talk, which is, is super important in this situation. And it's where and, reflective listening uh, techniques come in. Oh, so what you're saying, Johnny, is that you feel like you're stressed about school and so this helps to relax you. You know, I can... Un- I understand that that's what you're saying, correct? And then, you know, the reflective listening is what really, I think, helps a child to know that the parents are listening, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, reflective listening is, is a, is a technique. We, we use it in therapy a lot. Parents have a hard time with reflective listening because what they end up doing is paraphrasing. They end up changing, you know, in their own words and their emotions kind of play in. So they, they're coming off as sarcastic, like, ah, so, so what you're saying is you don't care how I feel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what you're saying is you can't handle life without using marijuana. So parents have to be super careful, you right. know, when they're doing that because the number one rule in communication, whether it's a couple that is uh, communicating, a married couple, or talking to your child, the first step is to listen. The second step is to show that you understand what they're saying. Okay. And so that's where that reflective listening, mm-hmm. you want to def- reflect as much of the words that they're using without paraphrasing your own words. And then the second step is validation, you know, validating, you know, which is part of what you were just talking about is, so I can understand that this, that it's hard for you. 
with being isolated and not being able to be with your friends because of this COVID, you know, and this, you know, the restrictions, mm-hmm. you know, I can understand that's hard for you. So validation, people misunderstand that as being that I'm, I'm telling my kid I agree with them. That's not what validation means. You're saying you're validating, you know, where they're at. And you're listening. And then... Yep, and so once you demonstrate understanding, the kid, the child knows that you're that you you get what they're saying. Now, sometimes, a lot of times, with parents and teens in particular, the kid will then turn around and say, "No, nope, that's not what I'm saying." And then you step back and you say, "Okay, mm-hmm. let's try this again. Tell me." Right. And so you have that understanding moment is clarification, really, essentially is that the parent is clarifying with the way they understand what the, what the child is saying. And so it's up to the child that if, you know, if they're, they're saying no, they're shaking their head, their body language is off, they, they don't want to have this conversation, and the parent needs to, to be aware of that, those body language, and saying, okay, you're shaking your head and you're rolling your eyes, am, am I not understanding you correctly? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so those those are the conversations, but those are the aftermath conversations in the the um, risky business presentation. You know, I launched that one because I felt like we were in the thick of it, and um, we were having an addiction crisis. This was well before the opiate epidemic, and parents didn't know what to do in the moment. And so I felt like, let's launch this one first, because that gives parents the tools in the moment. So these aren't your warm and fuzzies. Okay? Right. This, is, this is intervention, early detection, not necessarily prevention in its you know, own way. You know? mm-hmm. so, yep, what, so. so what's the next step? You, know, you have this open conversation that this is really not good for you. It's not good for your life. So where do you go then? So what happens is you have to remember, just like in, in the steps before where you, had, where you had your fact-based discussion and you exited and then you had to sit with it and, and then revisit it, this conversation, if, if you've decided that, you know what, there's a lot of paraphernalia here, there's things going on here, then, um, you know, you, you're going to have a conversation about that in the presentation, which is really going to be hard for me to do over the phone. In the, before we talk about the dialogue, I teach parents about the progression of substance use. This is key because when a parent can understand how it progresses in the stages, they'll be able to, to understand where their child is at. And then, and then knowing kind of how, how to respond. It's super important to have consequences. And for parents to be super clear that this is unacceptable, super clear. And, again, I talk about that in the presentation, how some parents will, they'll be like, well, he, had an, he did such a nice job during the conversation. He took ownership. He said he won't do it again. So I feel good about this. I'm not going to make a bigger deal of it. And they don't give any consequences. They don't seek help. They don't include, you know, therapists. Um, big mistake, big mistake, because how you respond to those moments are, are they're just vital because the pro- way the progression of substance use works is when they're starting to misuse the substance, meaning they're seeking it for the effects of it, the, the risks of it mean something at that point. Because the benefits are not that as great as they will be if they keep using. 
And what do you mean so, by consequences? Take their phone away or what? Oh, the phone. <laughs> I think that um, it's, it is important for parents to, so when they're sitting down and they're, and they've ha- they're having that conversation, the after conversation about what, you know, what they're going to do, I think the first step is for the parents to talk ahead of time and decide what kind of consequences they are going to implement. So you'll see parents go on different ends of the spectrum. They'll take everything. They'll take their phone. They'll take their computer, the car, and then they ground them. (laughs) So essentially, you've taken everything that calms them down when your child just said that they smoke weed because they are anxious all the time. Mm -hmm. So what you just created was a situation that creates more anxiety. So you have to really be thinking of natural consequences. So one of the one of a, a great example of that is let's say your child comes home and they they are high, they've been smoking weed and and that's clear and and they've been driving, so they have a car, okay? Or you let them use the car. The natural consequence, first of all, would be you're not using the you, the, the car is it's not an option right now. You you know you the natural consequence of using a substance while driving under the influence you know, while driving, mm-hmm. is, is that you don't drive. You're not safe. You're not able to make good choices. So, therefore, you've lost the car until we can feel as though we've addressed this substance use. Okay. And so, yeah, and so we have to be careful not to take everything away from them. Um, monitoring them. I've had parents will put, you know, the Friend Finder or Life360 app on their phones. Um, there, there are all kinds of different creative ways to go about this. We have to be super careful that you don't rob them of all of their um, connections with the outside world and overpunish them because you then have lost the whole point of consequences. You know, mm-hmm. because consequences are about an opportunity for change for you to be able to, for the child to know that, whoa, you know, this when, when you're doing things like this, parents yeah. need to keep you safe. Exactly. And yep. so tell me about THC. Is it THC oil that they somehow vape? What is that? Well, <clears throat> this is an ongoing uh, evolution, THC, marijuana. Um, so especially with the legalization, recreational use um, of it, it, we're seeing so many different forms of it. And more recently, and it was, you know, I started seeing more THC oil, which is a concentrated um, concentrate of THC, and they have different levels, you know. So THC is the active component in marijuana. That's what gets people high. And so you'll see kids using that. There are certain vapes for that, though. Um, and so your traditional vapes, like your jewels, traditionally don't work well with the THC oil. It tends to um, clog them, at least that's what the, the teenagers say, and it just doesn't get it up to the level. It's interesting because if you recall, oh, gosh, what was it, like, over a year ago when they're all over the media, they were talking about people having those lung infections. Yes. And then people, some people were dying, mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out what it was, you know. And so a lot of those, those situations were using, like, marijuana wax and THC oils in, in vapes. So those were 
a lot of the findings were associated with that and the high THC content in in those substances. So that was a huge part of what was going on. Um, there was so, a lot of mixed ideas yeah. of, about it, but they did discover that. So it's a separate kind of product with the THC oil that they kind of smoke. It's not necessarily something they use a vape product with, is what you're saying? Well, they can use certain vapes. There are certain vape pens that okay. are designed for different things. And mm-hmm. so when I do my presentation, I have multiple different vapes. Um, I have a whole display, um, and I show the audience exactly how they're used and how they can't smell anything if they're using any any of those drugs in a vape. So there's a whole host of them, and it's even harder these days to know which ones are which because they're making it to be able to look like any other vape. Hmm. You know, concealing is the, is the trend um, for all the products. It's, yeah. it's very disturbing. And so it's super important that parents really lean on their relationship and in being really clear that where they stand on substance use. So, for example, sometimes parents will let their kid drink. Okay, this is a prime example. Hosting is, is a big thing, and we talk about that in the presentation. But they'll say, you know what, you can have a couple of beers, or you know, they turned a blind eye with the drinking, and they let them drink in the house. But then what they're showing their child is that, hey, I'm okay with substance use. But then they'll turn around and say, well, you can drink, but, then you, I, but you can't use marijuana, or you can do this, but this isn't okay. And so, yeah. but the kid a mixed is saying... It's a huge mixed message and very dangerous message to your child because they won't be in that house all the time partying. They're going to be outside. They're going to be making decisions. And the number one deterrent of teenage substance use is parent disapproval. That's a fact. That's a research fact. I want to, Mm -hmm. if an educator is listening, how can they contact you, Melissa, for an all? How do they reach you? I am on Facebook, Safe Surroundings NE. You've been listening to Seacoast Conversation with Mary Beth Parkinson, a public service of Seacoast Oldies. Tune in again next week at this same time for Seacoast Conversation.